now, your host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTap Games Podcast, the podcast of exploring strange and unusual worlds, some invented by ourselves, some by other people. Today we're going to cover something that we probably haven't covered at all before. It's not even in any of the books. The Fringeborn. We're talking about children who are discovered to be fringeworthy and then are raised to become explorers in the Fringeworthy universe. Blix, where are all these kids coming from? I guess the vast majority of them would come from pregnant women who have gone through the portal, caused their children to become fringeworthy. Otherwise, it would be the random one in 100,000. Because even if you're a fringeworthy parent, if you don't go through the portal while you're carrying a child, your child has the same chance. I believe it's pretty much the same chance, right? It's exactly the same chance as everybody else. So the only way to guarantee that your child would become Frenchworthy is to go through yourself. And of course, any parent who knows that is going to make sure that that happens because they don't want to have to be separated from their child. As we will discuss, being a Frenchworthy child is a big bonus, a big advantage. Now, the other way that we would be discovering these people is that as time goes on, the Fringeworthy Explorers are going to become better and better at using the crystals that they found to discover more Fringeworthy. And as they go around discovering more Fringeworthy, they're going to be finding children. Of course, they're not going to take the children and put them on the Fringe Pass because they're too young. There's no way they could handle themselves. And there's probably some legal issues about putting a child onto the Fringe Pass like that. That doesn't mean that they're going to ignore them. They're going to say, hey, this is a future explorer. This is somebody who's hopefully joined IDET. They're going to go out and become possibly the savior of the world by finding solutions to the very pressing problems that are facing the Earth today. They could be as young as a newborn baby. It just happens to be you know, in the right place at the right time for someone searching for a Fringeworthy. To uh, kids who are maybe under 12 or 18 or getting close to teenage, an 18-year-old. You really can't go out there and explore, but nothing's stopping them from traveling to the friendly worlds we know of. So if, if you were to run a campaign where you were spending time with a group of children that were fringe-worthy. Fringe scouts. Well, okay. <laughs> Not the kind of scouts we normally talk about, but you're like talking about the Boy Scouts, right? Yeah. You're devoting time to their adventures and not before they age to the point where they would be a, just considered a normal person that was an explorer. Trav, how old do you think this group of fringe-worthy children in training would be in, in such a campaign? Minimum preteen, 11 at the earliest then you get to 12, 13, because they're going to start forming their adult views then. And if you enculturate them with taking them to friendly worlds, showing them how the fringe paths work, that stuff is going to stick in them the best during that preteen to teen time, where you're sitting there in a, a fringe bus, driving the kids to the next alternate portal and saying, okay, these are worlds that we know. You are now visiting them. This is what you would have to look forward to if you join IDET. So you are, it, it would be an indoctrination. It'd be like the Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, 4-H, those type of youth organizations that help raise the kids in a certain ideal. So I'd say preteen minimum, because you don't want to be carrying around a five-year-old kid while you're out on the fringe pads. That just, no. No. Having a, a teen who's just kind of gone over the cusp myself, 
I can say that they radically change in personality and their ability to deal with adult concepts and information. Late middle school and early high school, I think, would be you know the ideal spot to put it. I hate to draw allusions to a certain school in Massachusetts whose headmaster has a name that starts with an X. <laughs> There's clearly a reason why this is where this would be happening. You probably would take the kids through the portal at least just once and back again so that they all end up speaking the same language. Makes training a whole lot easier at that point. Right, because IDET's going to be gathering these children not just from the United States, but from all over the world. Places like China, you find a fringe kid, five years old. You probably won't see him till he is about 11 years old because the, the Chinese are going to be indoctrinating him and making sure he follows the party line. Yes, you, you can build some of their basic moral engrams at, at early age, but their worldview changes radically once they turn teenager. That's true. They're not the same as when they were eight. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that would happen a lot, but that would sure be, be purely on the level of excursion. Primer school, I mean, where they're saying, okay, we're going to go to the Victorians, and we're going to have tea with the queen, and we're going to go over here and stuff like that. Those would be fine little things, but not really training them in the sense of, okay, this is what you now need to learn so that you can be an effective explorer. Yeah. Then fringe training like Alice Springs. You send these kids around on trips of fringe culture. Here are the Victorians. Here are the Romans. Here are the uh, Norlanders. And as they're doing two, three, four year, like a mini academy, let's say you do it 12 to 16. Yeah. And 16, I think, would be a good time that you start maybe thinking that they might be Alice Springs worthy. Yeah. Depending on the culture that they come from. The United States may say 18. There might be Europeans or Asians or Australians may say 16. It would depend. And then after they do their four-year primer on fringe culture, it's like, okay, now you know what it's like when you're on safe ground. Now we are going to train you for when you're not on safe ground. We're going to the hunting lodge. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you are, or you go through a portal and you find out that there are creatures twice as tall as you, that when they invite you over for dinner, it's not like when, in the Victorians. In the hunting lodge, you got to deal with the raptors. And yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. You go on the French pass, you can either be over for dinner or you can be either over for dinner. Yeah. yeah. Though I imagine by that time, the hunting lodge, they'll have to actually have to have like... You know, well, yeah, we had to go out about 20 miles and find some raptors and drive them over this way so you actually can see some. Because <laughs> they'd be so scared of the place because, you know, cause, let's see, if you've been there for 20 years or 10 years, we're going to kind of, you know, keep the place clear of raptors after a while. Yeah, you're going to have a, a guarded perimeter, yeah. Yeah. It's not going to have these things wandering around when you know you got kids wandering around. And, of course, see, this is the thing. I mean, if you wanted to do a... I guess, Fringe Academy campaign yeah. of teaching young Fringe-worthy how to be aware of the Fringe culture, you're still going to have misadventures. There's going to be that one kid that's going to decide, mm -hmm. I'm going off on my own, the headmaster cheesed me off, or you're going to have the one geeky one who you know is going to grow up to be a scientist going, oh, look at this, this is nice, 
and get captured. Just something's going to happen. These kids are going to have misadventures. You're going to a friendly portal. Only you let Todd, Todd the mouth breather, be the driver this time. And he tends to forget which way the hands of the clock are. So he said, you want to go to the 2 o'clock portal. You don't notice he goes to the 11 o'clock portal. And that's a problem portal. Oh, no. <laughs> I can see uh, one of the problem portals being a really good training lesson you know, for the kids. You don't tell them about it. And you let them go through the one that dumps out into water. And have them spend a couple hours trying to figure out how to get out of the thing. And then that's where they learn the lesson of... Uh, this is why you bring certain equipment, and this is why you always stay as prepared as possible. I can see it now. They get back home. They dump me in this portal. It's horrible. I was like, what did you do to my child? Well, I, 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 I. <laughs> we let right, him go right. through a problem portal, and he, he came out just fine. Yeah, he got a little wet, and that shark did chew, almost chew down a little bit, but he's fine. Yeah. It's what like the kid, a little wet? It was the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> Even if they're five years old, you might still consider walking them through the portal and back again just so he can learn a language. Because after a year, you can make it permanent. And the more languages you know, the better off you are in some cases. If you're a fringe-worthy person, you're definitely going to be a polyglot. Yeah. So what you're saying is take him to a world every year, switch him to another world for training. No, no, I imagine that the guards at Hatsumi Base are going to change every so often. So, you know, one year's the Chinese, next year's the Russians, after that's the Germans, and they're going to be the majority there, have the majority of the language. And then when they come out, they'll be speaking whatever the current military presence is at Hatsumi Base. That seems a little bit capricious. I think Blix is more accurate. That what you would do is that you would have the various worlds that were part of the uh, Alien Corps would be hosting the, these kids for like a year, you know, and then keep going from world to world that way. I would say the Golden Horde would be the last one when they were about sixteen years old. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll tell you what, though, if, if if I'm a kid when I hit about fifteen, I want to be in Pax Romana. Coming into puberty nice and hard. <laughs> There's going to be some issues of, about the philosophy because Fox Romana, they believe in slavery. They have a whole culture oriented around it. So they're going to be saying slavery is good. So, you know, what's going to be the party line at the school there if they're staying in Fox Romana? You know, I would, I, I could see it now. You'd have, you, you would actually have these academies, you'd have the academy structure set up so that certain grades are on certain worlds. Every kid would spend, you know, fourth grade a, on such and such world and fifth grade on another world. I mean, it wouldn't be a, a terrible amount of them. You know, it wouldn't be like there's there's hundreds of them every year. You know, you would have, you know, a couple every year. Right. And I mean, they, they could actually be hosted in someone's house probably. But another way of getting around that, which entirely avoids this whole situation, is that you turn the hunting lodge into an academy. Yeah. Right. And that's where you could say, well, this year we're going to have German speaking instructors here. So uh. you have some Erd people, they come over, they be instructors, and therefore everyone going through is now going to be speaking Erdish. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of a mix. You know that when you go through a portal, you know, you're going to know the language there. So I think from the from the standpoint of the children, I think they're going to be like, why do we care about learning another language when every time we go through the portal, you know, we're going to get the language? 
So you know, there, there's going to be a lot of resistance there, just like there's a lot of resistance to people learning a language in school that they don't see an immediate need for. Now, the language ability from the portals, speak and understand, yeah. or is it also reading written? Everything. You're fully literate. Including nuances of, of body language and, and, and gestures. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And colloquialisms are appropriately translated. Right, and you use the right one. Yeah. So if I go to, oh, German Earth, when I tell someone to get lost, they would hear it as pull a line, which is the ger direct German idiom for if I were to tell someone, hey, get lost. Right. They now, wouldn't the, understand the, that, but if they come yeah. up to me and say pull a line, I would know. Okay. Right. right. But if you went into, let's say, Pax Romana, would you learn High Latin or would you learn Low Latin? Actually, you would, you would learn Britannic. Because that's what the language is being spoken in outside that portal. <laughs> You're kind of avoiding the question. What if there's two different language versions of the language? One is held by the aristocracy, and the other one is held by the common people. Yeah. You know, if, if you're going purely by numbers, then you would learn the language of the common people. Yeah. yeah. Probably. Yep. So. so that's what I would think. That's what I thought it was all along. It is the largest yeah. contingent of people. What language do they speak? Boom! It just got downloaded in your head as soon as and you walk. They're going to be just as advanced as the Romans because they've been trading culture, trading information, trading technology. So there's nearly no tech tech advantage to determine. So it's just going to be straight numbers at that point. Yeah, <laughs> it's been, they've been there for fifteen hundred years. Okay, it's no tech advantage at this point. You know. <laughs> All right. So these kids are traveling. They're they're going to these classes. However, you want to set it up. They're picking up these languages because that's important. But what other skills, what other essential skills, as far as French, I mean, they're getting their reading, writing, arithmetic, blah, 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 you know, your standard education. But what else are they getting uh, that, that would be different from a regular school system? And, and what ages do you think that's happening? They have personal trainers. Right. To imagine there'd be a lot of folks watching and seeing what they like to do and, well, pandering to that like. Someone likes fighting, and he's definitely on the on the combat track. Mm -hmm. But John, is that really true, or would they have a formalized, over overarching type curriculum where you you'd be expected to learn certain things? Everybody would be expected to learn certain things. See, yeah, that that true, but there's still going to be that pandering to their likes and dislikes. That's going to be on anytime soon, John, because as they start this out. We need a standardized curriculum, A, B, C, D, E, and F. Every kid that comes to that portal are going to learn these things. And it's going to be basic first aid, basic survival, the fringe culture. Okay, these are the worlds that we know, Victorian, Pax Romana. Beyond the three R's. Right, right. But, I mean, there's going to be, I guess, a standard, quote-unquote, fringe curriculum that these kids are going to learn in order to know the friendly worlds. Five, ten portals. This is what you should know off the bat as soon as you leave Earth Prime. I think it's going to mimic a lot of the way you picture the uh, the Star Trek Academy, you know, where, where every student is expected to learn all these different things, and diplomacy is part of it. Uh, there's a combat portion for, you know, part of it. Um, you know, like, so watching, like, when you watch Star Trek Next Generation, what the Academy was like. But we're going to go a step further there would be dissertations on Harry Turtledove. Not so much exactly what he wrote, which, which would be important because he's, as far as I'm concerned, and I, and I know the rest of you pretty much agree with this, he's probably the premier alt-history writer out there. Oh, but yeah. Like, 
not only just the concepts that he come up with, but the way he thinks and the way he comes up with these concepts. Alternate logical history 101. And you'd have that every year in high school where you would have to say, hey, if this happens, this is where we extrapolate. Teach you how to extrapolate in the alt history thinking. Yeah, if Hitler won the war, this is probably how he would have won it. And these are the ramifications. And this was his plan. So he would probably be doing this, this, and this. Instead of getting like a uh, overall survey of, of like French history, you'd be saying, okay, French, points of departure. Right. What, what are they? This general did this, and this was an important impact, and this is why. Okay, what if that didn't happen? There would be a lot of what ifs in the class. I can see history classes becoming the most interesting classes in the school because you wouldn't be learning history as, as a static thing. You'd be learning history as a dynamic thing. Field trips. Okay, we have discussed this. Well, we happen to have found a world that's two worlds away that extrapolates this fully. Let's go. Hop on the fringe bus. And these kids get living alternate history that they've been talking about and they've extrapolated. And the kids can go, oh, well, I didn't think it would happen like this. Okay, what age are you going to do that, though? If you go into a world that hasn't really been officially contacted yet. Mm-mm. It would all be in worlds that are contacted. We're talking, this is like 20 years. This is 20 years down the road, right? 10 to 20, I would think. Let's say 10. Let's say 10 at the minimum. That's where it gets started. So we've made a bunch of contacts with worlds. So I have another question. How much do we want these kids traveling on the fringe paths because we don't want to, you know, stunt their growth? Because the fringe paths, it keeps you young, right? No, it, it keeps you from aging. It keeps you from degenerating. I don't think it would have any effect on your normal maturation level. Okay, so, so in other words, till you become an adult, you age as per normal. It basically keeps you, your body healthy and regenerating you know, versus just, you know, starting the decline that happens sometime in the mid-20s. So then we want these kids traveling on a regular basis because, I mean, even holding classrooms out on the on the pathways at times because, you know, like that way they can completely avoid a lot of these childhood diseases that happen due to, you know, uh, proteins folding improperly and such. I think they would be much more likely to run into a lot of unusual diseases by traveling to a whole lot of different fringe worlds. And I don't think that's a bad thing. You're going to want them to be robust as far as being able to come across a, a, an unknown disease and be able to take it. Well, no, what I was talking about is, is diseases that are inherent to, like, genetics. Yeah, the, the fringe path is keeping you young, you know, keeping you from degenerating through disease. Then it's going to be fixing some of that stuff, like, you know, problems with your DNA and such. That's part of what makes you old. I mean, that, that's part of why you fall apart in the later years. Well, if a kid has dwarfism... I don't think it's going to make them tall. I'm, th- I'm saying things like um, MS or cerebral palsy or, or, or some of those things that... Well, no. It, the, the causes of MS and cerebral palsy are almost the same thing as make, what makes you dwarf a dwarf. I don't see it fixing those. But Blix is right, John, because the best example I can think of right now is Stephen Hawking's... He was fine. He went up through college. He became a doctor, okay? And he was normal. And then he contracted after that. Going through the fringe pass on a regular basis, I think, would probably keep that from happening for the next couple of decades at least, if, it, if ever. It's repairing cells and repairing them properly. We say it does a bio-boosting effect. Do we kind of hand-wave what that is? Right. 
it would be correcting some errors, I would say. Yeah. I would imagine most people would be cancer free because yeah. those those are definitely malignant cells. And I, I agree. Yeah. So we don't have to worry about kids not aging properly. They're gonna age properly. That's not gonna be a problem. Yeah. And if they, if they do have any major genetic problems, the first doc box you, you, you're going to find will probably be used to fix the kids. Right, right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're probably going to run into some more higher tech cultures that are going to have some solutions that we don't currently have, and, you know, during that 10 years that people are out there exploring. Yeah. But getting back to what, what kind of things would be in the curriculum beyond simple survival basics. The most common concept would be the class you're in, you're going to become a team. When you start coming into the school at a certain point, now you are going to, we're going to start developing you guys into a team. So you, know, you are going to specialize someone. You can go and say who's got the best fit for things, but then they have to start working on team building exercises, trust, being, you know, the idea of someone's going to be in charge, possibly even practicing, taking turns who's in charge so that they get used to taking you know, orders from each other. I'm talking about actually what would be the, would be more like officer candidacy school where they go in and they actually start talking to you about a, a military structure and why it's the way it is, how to create tactics and how to husband your resources of your team and sometimes when to make hard decisions uh, that are necessary for the success of the mission. It sounds like you, you, what you're saying is that at some point along the line, they're basically you're end up going to West Point or another country's version of West Point for very specific training. By the time the campaign gets along to a certain point, you're not going to need West Point or all that. The United is going to have their own version of West Point specifically for fringe-worthy children and teens. And they're going to be trained there specific. And this is going to be a later campaign thing. This right. whole fringe, uh, roving fringe academy taking kids and showing that might be in the beginning. As the fringe timeline goes on, they're going to say, okay, we want a steady academy, stable place where they live, breathe, work. We take them out on excursions. They come back here. Right. That's why I was thinking of using the hunting lodge. Because that ha already has a building, it already has some structures. It's on a on a primitive planet, so they have lots of opportunities to practice their their survival skills. At the same time, they don't have to worry about anybody putting the snatch on them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But as I said, that'd be something later down the line. That might be twenty years into the timeline. They might take the first ten years for them to just get the you know, mass enough kids to merit an academy. Because, like John said, there's not going to be that many. You might have this one roving fringe class. It might be four kids. And, and don't forget, they also will be the fringe kids. Oh, God, the press will be over them like ticks on a dog. Oh, yeah. If you're fringe-worthy on Earth Prime, you're a celebrity anyways because you can use this alien technology that's been splashed all over the world media, and now we have children. Oh. Oh, yeah. The first fringe-born, is he's not going to be a normal person. Because he will not have a moment of peace. God, he's going to be the interdimensional Justin Bieber. It's going to be like the Truman Show, where yeah. every facet of his life is recorded. Prince Harry, he's just like that. Prince Harry, is, he's going to be king. He knows it. But I think you're wrong about that, Trav, as far as just a few people. Because in the first ten years, I imagine that probably... And I am I am making a big assumption here that probably every fringeworthy woman on Earth and the surrounding worlds in which they're uh, associated with is going to get pregnant 
and is going to be encouraged to have multiple children. And so those are going to form a cadre of children for this academy that we're talking about. So I don't think it's going to be four or five. I think it's going to be a couple dozen. Oh, imagine the bonus for that. I mean, a fringe-worthy woman, they, they, want to, they want to entice her to have a kid, man. Paying for pregnancy? I don't think we want to go there right now. I'm not saying that we want to go there. I'm saying they would. You'd be encouraged to do it because if you're fringe-worthy and you're a woman and they know that any child that you produce is going to be fringe-worthy, that's a known thing that can be controlled. It's a lot easier for a woman who's fringe-worthy to get pregnant and have a fringe-worthy child than to go out and find a fringe-worthy child when only one out of 100,000 is fringe-worthy. Yeah. Hey, John, they're not buying the child from her. It's not like they're hiring her to have a baby and you know what I mean? Because the child is still hers. You know, and he would still have all the rights of, of a citizen and all that kind of stuff. It's just she would just like when you join the military and they give you a bonus. They would come up, okay, Mrs. Smith, we have found out you were fringe worthy. You have went through the portal, your child is fringe worthy. We hereby offer to train your child in just everything. He will get the best education that this planet has ever known. He is still your child, it's just he'll be in our care because we want him to succeed. Not only because he is your child, but for the good of Earth Prime. And of course, as time goes on, depending on how far along you are in the campaign, the new Commonwealth. So they're going to sit there and it's going to be a bit of a PR thing. And the mother's going to be like, well, yeah, my kid's going to be helping everybody. You know, what mother wouldn't want their son or daughter to to be a hero and a savior and be finding that one piece of technology that will save Earth Prime? Your child will be a person of note. But think about it in these terms. You're going to have a child, and you're going to get this child involved in all this fringe-worthy stuff. Now, you've got to weigh out your pros and cons. Pro, the child's going to get the best education ever. You're going to have a really interesting, awesome life in a lot of ways. It's going to have opportunities that no other children have. And then there's the downside. He's going to be on the fringe pass, or she's going to be on the fringe pass. You know, and what's your prior experience with the fringe path as a parent before you became a parent? Right. Yeah. Horror. Most of the time, um, a good portion of the time. You end up wondering, OK, am I going to be getting that call from our, our United Nations personnel going to be coming to my door saying, uh, Mr. You know, like to me, Mr. Pulaski, we just found out about your daughter. She was on a mission and no parent wants to go through that. It would have to equate. Now, I was never in the military, so I, I can't, you know, I can't speak for this. Uh, John, you were. You can speak on this. But, you know, being in the military, you know, especially if you were a veteran, you know, you've seen some some action. How these parents feel when they put their child in the military, knowing that they could go into harm's way. And- uh, when I was in, I went in when it, when there wasn't any crap coming down. So, unfortunately, right. mine was more along the line of, okay, yeah, you're in the military, you're going to learn how to paint rocks. <laughs> Red one week and turn them over and pay them white next week. Uh, it it was a lot of make do work. Now, I imagine a person who's going to it now will probably would turn around and say, mm, they might say, yes, my son needs to do this or my daughter needs to do this or my kid ain't doing that. Right. Or I'm not going to have a kid and subject him to that. Yeah. I'd rather they're not fringe worthy so they don't get sucked into this life. It is ultimately the woman's decision. As is with anything concerning her pregnancy. It's just, you are going to sit there and the mother is going to go, okay, first of all, they want me to walk through the portal. It's like, as soon as I find out I'm pregnant, 
it would be the mother's right, the, the woman's right as a member of IDET to say, I'm going on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. I feel me being pregnant will not only endanger me, but because I will be at a diminished physical capacity. I, I know plenty of women who have had children. They're not at their top physical form while they are carrying a child. They're going to say, I will be an endangerment to myself and my team. Therefore, I hereby put myself on medical leave until this child is born. And you know what? And for, for ethical reasons, you would have to have a very strong policy to state that they cannot be discriminated against or pressured into going on a mission while pregnant. Because if the mother does not want their child to become fringeworthy, then she should have the right to not go on any missions you know, during that time. Right, exactly. She'd just say, I'm on maternity leave. I just found out I was pregnant. Check the doctor, the Hitsumi base. I'm off. Give me a year. Right. Maybe that she finds out after she comes back from the mission. Yeah. Well, it's too late. Yeah. She's in the first trimester. I think as soon as, as soon as the egg gets fertilized, it's a new creature. So conception? We don't say. Uh, the GM can put it any place they want to. Yes, that would be up to the specific GM. This is a great area that I talked about before we started. Right, because then we're crossing into the you know the, the pro-life, pro-choice, you know. Which we discussed this before. Okay, yeah. which, which our podcast uh, <laughs> has absolutely no opinion on, right? Yeah. I mean, officially, we, officially as a podcast, we have no opinion on that. Yeah. So don't anybody try and take it any direction beyond that because we, we, we're not making a statement of any kind. Yeah. So in 20 years, you're going to see a lot of these kids graduating. Fine, graduate, John, is when they leave this fringe academy and start being eligible for full IDET training. Well, actually, full IDET work. Yeah, because at that time, they've been trained. They've been trained better than their parents. Okay, yeah, yeah they wouldn't be going necessarily <laughs> because if you're found fringe-worthy as an adult, Boom, you go through the six-month Alice Springs training, and then you're out on the fringe pads. If right. you're a kid to have been found fringe-worthy, yeah, you're going to have the multiple years fringe academy. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. The Tri-Tech Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The Tri-Tech Podcast is wholly owned by Tri-Tech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.